Ladies and gentlemen, could I please have quiet on the set? I would say the house is now open, but today's a little different as I am joined by the wonderful cinematographer, director, writer, overall great chap, that is Jamie Brown. How are you going, Jamie? Yeah, I'm not too bad, Scott. How are you? I'm not too bad. I'm still bald, unfortunately, but um, lockdown can't always um, change um, everything for the better, can it? <laughs> no, don't worry. I'm, I'm getting there slowly. My luxurious mane, you can see the golden arches starting to, uh, <laughs> starting to creep in a little bit. So, Hey, at least you're not doing a Hulk Hogan, buddy. I'll do a Hulk Hogan before I go bald, trust me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was an option for me. I could have done that, and a lot of the boys did make that joke at me. But you know what? I thought, nah, I prefer Stone Cold look. No, fair play. Tell us a little bit about you. What's your passion and what is your field of expertise? As Scott said, I'm Jamie Brown and I'm a filmmaker originally from um, Cambridgeshire, England, uh, now based in Swansea. While Scott seemed to list every single job under the sun, <laughs> cinematographer, <laughs> writer, director, like my speciality is in, in producing and directing. But I have dabbled in writing short films, which have been nominated uh, mostly within the UK. For example, like uh, my latest short, which Scott was an extra in. Yeah, that was a fun, that was a fun shoot. I enjoyed that. Yeah, fun for you. Like once again, the hairline is yeah, wow. different, but um, <laughs> but no, that got nominated for a best short film based in Wales at the Wales International Film Festival last year. Obviously, while lockdown's going on, trying to keep my head in it as much as I can. Freelance mm. editing, some writing here and there, stuff like that. Really, you're not from Swansea originally. You were definitely a jack of all trades. Little reference for all the football listeners out there. <laughs> jack of all trades, masters of none. Masters of none. <laughs> When in doubt, as long as you feel confident in yourself, then it doesn't matter if you're bad or good. Exactly. Rock up with a smile because that's what they'll remember. <laughs> exactly. What can you do? Yes. <laughs> exactly. Have you ever done this before? Yes. When? Yes. 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 <laughs> How often do you do it? Yes. <laughs> I feel like this has just turned into that Rick and Morty episode. It's like, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what brought you to Swansea originally, Buds? Was it like that was the university for you, or did you think like to yourself you wanted to change scenery? Or so originally, when picking my kind of uni options, I had two in mind. So I had Anglia Ruskin in Cambridge at the Cambridge School of Art, which was obviously more kind of close to home. And then while doing my research, I thought, oh well, I'll look out there, see what else is there. But I knew that. Um, <laughs> I knew that my A-levels weren't going to be probably the best in the world. So I you know, <laughs> looked around what I thought I could do. Yeah. And it was Swansea Met when I originally applied, but now uh, UWTSD in Swansea, they did the same course, uh, essentially what Cambridge did. Hmm. As you said, it was kind of a change of scenery. It was, I don't want to live the uni experience while being at home. Yeah. No offense to my family or anything like that. It's not <laughs> it's not anything like that sorry mum um, yeah. <laughs> but no it was it was just uh i want to get out there a little bit hmm. i just find it funny how some people move two hours away i decided to go four and a half there's sort of that hunger to explore more than like you just your outside um, world for example like i only went to Carmarthen for university but even though it was an hour away felt like a completely different culture shock so i get the feeling of like wanting to get away from it all yeah, I've been to Kamatha many times and I can definitely agree with that one. <laughs> Some great pubs when they're open. The one takeaway from the Reject or Recall podcast is the fact there are many great pubs in Kamatha. <laughs> we'll have to get a list after the show. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of lists, buds, before we actually get, dive straight into the main portion of the show, I like to do a round, which I do with all my guests, is would you rather? I'm just going to give you a list of random things and then you're going to tell me which one you would rather have right now films or tv shows probably tv shows 
on TV, you get a chance to probably get invested with the stories and the characters. So yeah, stretch it out a bit more. Yeah, exactly. You get more a chance to kind of grow with them, if you know yeah. what I mean. Unless you're Zack Snyder making a four-hour film. <laughs> oh, I haven't even tackled that yet. I don't know if, when, how, but maybe, but I will one day. <laughs> we'll get through it together at some point. Would you rather a day at a theme park or a day at the amusements arcade? Oh, arcade, uh, 110%. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm not a theme park guy. Like, when all my friends are on the roller coasters, I'd be sat in the chicken shop sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> you're the one who holds all the bags. Yeah, I am. And uh, I'm also the one that'll spend about 30 quid on the TP machines if I get a chance. I <laughs> so... do. Again, another highlight of being in Swansea. Mumbles Pier, all the amusements there. Literally two peas going straight in. <laughs> That's true. That's how the city gets funded, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like this podcast is just me advertising Wales now. <laughs> Does the Welsh government want to give me some funding? You want to throw some my way as well. I'll, I'll make anything. <laughs> yeah. Um, Jamie can shoot a great film and direct a great film, and I can just talk for hours. There we go. It's, it's there. <laughs> Perfect example. Would you rather a fixed sort of camera, or would you rather a camera with changeable lenses? Okay. So when you say fixed, obviously you mean like um, one lens. Yeah, one lens, like sort of like camcorder, the cliche sort of like film cameras and all that. Okay, uh, weirdly enough, I'd probably say a fixed, like even though the, I, I love my lenses, um, as you guys, uh, you know, <laughs> I've worked with in wrestling, no, whenever I cut with my camera back. Yeah. Um, no, I feel like with kind of one lens, you're forced to be a bit more creative. Mm. So you're kind of working with the limitations. And when you have those limitations, that's when it gets fun. Tea or coffee? Coffee. Oh. Yeah, caffeine's half my blood at this point, and uh, yeah, I make my coffee with tablespoons at this point. If we're on a film set, Jim, I know what I'm um, going to be brewing up for you then. <laughs> Back to um, wrestling related, NXT or AEW? Uh, um... <laughs> like again, what would you rather watch right now? Oh, that's a good one. Uh, I... Oh, that's tough. See, <laughs> the film questions I can answer in a second. As soon as you get to wrestling, it's like I have to write a thesis just to get an idea. Uh, even though I don't keep up with it as much, I'd probably say AEW. Yeah. Um, like with NXT, uh, how do I word it? It's a bit like going to a franchise fast food place. Yeah. It's like, you know it's there. You know it's going to be decent when you have it. Mm-hmm. But then with AEW, it's like the new one that's just opened down the road. Yeah. Where it's a bit like, it's something different all the time. And I, I think the talent, it fascinates me more with AEW. Like, I would rather watch like a Luchasaurus match, for example, mm. um, than probably a Bronson Reed one, even though he's one of my boys. It's double-edged sword, but I'd probably say AEW. Yeah. I put a post up yesterday, literally saying about like unpopular opinions. And one of mine was literally say. If you like one thing, you can like the other at the same time. No, exactly. Like I'm probably one of the six people in the world who like NXT UK. And, <laughs> um... Hey, great content. Great content. Exactly. Would you rather do a film shoot in a old stately home, so like um, old-fashioned castle, Downton Abbey sort of place for the listeners, or a derelict prison? See, now you've got the producer inside me. Mm. Um... <laughs> I'd probably go the old stately home. Yeah. Just because I feel like there's a bit one, there's a bit more you can do with a stately home because a prison, especially when you say the word derelict, um, mm. it's very much like ghost story or horror sort of thing. Yeah. 
yeah and with a stately home you know that at least it's going to be furnished so you don't have to um, <laughs> spend money on props and i don't know with stately home you kind of got the upstairs the downstairs the outside mm. um depending on the size of it like uh, servants quarters as well so mm. i feel like you can do a lot more with that a lot of variety then like with a stately home yeah like you could do comedies like uh, i know the favorite isn't necessarily a comedy but um, oh yeah of course yeah, something like The Favourite, or you could do something like Rebecca, mm. uh, for example, where that leans a bit more into the psychological horror. Or mm. I feel like it's got a lot more scope. Uh, more scope? Uh, <laughs> more, <laughs> a lot scope. more scope. Yeah, <laughs> who are and whatnot. But yeah, a lot more scope. Oh, fair play. Good answer, man. And I got to say, you answer those a lot with ease compared to everyone else on this show. <laughs> like, literally, just everyone seems to have a panic attack between choosing between two things. It's like, no, but it's just a bit of fun. <laughs> yeah so <laughs> real away like, i'm happy to answer anything i'm honest oh <laughs> uh, well that's great so sit so, tight folks we could be in for a long one <laughs> <laughs> right then getting into the main portion of the reject or recall podcast now where i am going to be joined by my guests this time being jamie on a metaphorical audition panel so jamie is going to present a different amount of things that he would like to reject from the industry because maybe it's something that personally winds him up or maybe it's something on a general perspective. Jamie, have you ever heard of the show Room 101? Yes, we actually had to do a version of it for my uh, GCSE English. So, really? Yeah, I chose uh, cheese at the time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they, they sprung it on us and was like, what's one thing you uh, would want to get rid of in the world? And I thought, I just don't like Stilton. So I did a whole 10 minute rant just on the fact of like, why would you serve me mold? It's <laughs> <laughs> like, easiest C I've ever gotten. So <laughs> if you're currently sitting your GCSEs in this point, have a rant about cheese, especially if it's a French exam, because I feel like you might get more points. Yeah, true. Just think of a bit of brie, but you dodgy in the supermarket. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Jamie, what is the first audition that has come into our audition room today? And what has it done that makes you want to reject it so much from the world of entertainment? Okay, so the first one, I feel like it's something that's definitely come around in the last maybe 20 years. And it's the idea, and I've got it written down as a quote, uh, I won't watch it, it's old. Okay. Obviously, my background is in film. I've got a film degree. And a lot of the time, obviously, <clears throat> you try and watch more contemporary examples of stuff. Hmm. You know, if you have to do like psychological horror, you'll tend to go on Netflix, Amazon Prime, you know, stuff like hmm. that. I remember trying to sit down with someone at the time and be like, oh, we should watch um, these old kind of black and white horror movies from like uh, the 60s or the 50s. Hmm. And they were just like, Ugh, it's black and white. Why would I watch it? And it, uh, <sighs> it frustrates me so much. Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't understand what it is about black and white that puts people off it. Yeah. Um, before I go to you, once again, to use the film uh, degree knowledge I've got, mm -hmm. uh, I'd probably say it's down to the ed editing above anything. Like the average length of a cut in Hollywood, I think, between three and four seconds at the minute. Yeah. And a lot of people are very used to that. Um, we can relate WWE to this to bring it back to wrestling a little bit. Um, it's like every <laughs> action needs a cut. But when in old fashioned films, obviously they were running off film and uh, editing was a much longer process. Yeah. And it was more theatrical in for the style of the acting. Yeah. So yeah, we're more used to these like long theatrical kind of camera movements mm. where 
not much happens, let's be fair. And yeah, I just don't think audiences have the attention for it now. If you take a film like 12 Angry Men, for example, a classic film, very well performed by everyone involved. But in my opinion, it feels like you're watching a theatre production because of just like the background and the way that the actors are performing. And also because like the shots are just held for quite a long period of time. I think a lot of it is coming down to like the fast paced action flicks and everything because it's like bang, 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 quicker, quicker. Like you said about WWE, they don't like holding on shots for too long. I do get what you're saying about like the old classic films, like being more drawn out, should we say? Out of curiosity, what is your favorite like black and black and white movie? Oh, now you put me on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie Brown is now taking over the podcast. Yeah, this is um something I never thought would happen. <laughs> but um, at the top of my head, I would have to say Young Frankenstein, Mel Brooks, Gene Wilder, simply because like. Um, even though it's a satire, I feel like it's a smart comedy and they play on the black and white to its advantage. Yeah, like, you know, they're emulating the obviously 1930s feel of, um, mm. oh God, directors and actors' names confuse me. So I, I, <laughs> I, I, I get what you mean. Uh, yeah, but the 30s Frankenstein film. Um, and I know what you mean. They really cleverly play it off. And then you have scenes like they're putting on the Ritz, which makes me die every time I watch yes. it because it's so stupid. But I and it's it. just so out, out of left field because like you think it's like, oh, okay, it's just this um, standard presentation. Okay, he's going to learn to walk. He's going to try and speak. Yeah, but then all of a sudden, like top hat and tails, it's like, what? <laughs> I, I want to do an impression, but I feel like I'd probably offend somebody. <laughs> I mean, you could offend someone for much less in this day and age, buddy. So I wouldn't even bother, but um, I do get what you're saying. What about yours? I'd probably say the 1920s Phantom of the Opera. I want to say 1925, but there's so many different cuts of it. Because I had to do a video essay for uni and I did it on uh, how society's fears reflect in horror movie antagonists. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to start by doing kind of the 1910s and 1920s, where it was very much a post-World War II, we're trying to digest the feelings and yeah. kind of all of that. And I sat down and I, I found a bunch of them online and I watched the uh, 20s version. And I just feel like, especially compared to the, uh, 2000, I want to say 2004 version. With uh, Gerald Butler? Yeah. Yeah, yeah 2004. Music of the night. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. All right, um, Lee and I just uh, calmed down. <laughs> sit down. Sit down. Um, yeah, compared to that one, I feel like the Phantom was definitely a much more sympathetic character. Yeah. Uh, and the way he was performed and whatnot. And then it's just the grand scale and the fact that you can still visit the, uh, the set they used for the mm. actual theatre in Hollywood now. Uh, I also thought it, the way it was structured and whatnot, but once again, back, going back to the quickfire round, it'd make a great like TV show. Yeah, because like you, you really stretch out that character and all that because like there's just so much you could play around with like with the story. Yeah, exactly. And then once again, unlike the 2004 one, you don't have to kind of shoe in, shoehorn in a backstory. Yeah. Because the whole point of Phantom is meant to be mysterious and like. Exactly. It definitely emphasizes your point about like why saying it's important to remember and watch these old classic films because like a lot of them still hold up today. And yeah, don't get me wrong, not every single film holds up. Like I'm sure there are loads of films. Of, well, uh, Ed Wood basically documents the entire thing like it was just bad b-movie after bad b-movie but even the bad films you learn something from and then you take like little tricks and you apply them to your own craft yeah no exactly and like you have to 
respect where you come from to uh, kind of understand where you're going. Yeah. Because obviously, Scott, I know you're a wrestler as well, like watching Ricky Steamboat versus Ric Flair, uh, Chinatown yeah. Rumble. I watched it when I was probably about 19. And obviously, I'm used to the WWE, New Japan style. The hard-hitting, fast-paced, um, flippy shit, as um, us <laughs> marks will call it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And for some reason, I, I wasn't really paying fully atten- full attention to it, but I couldn't take my eyes off it at the same time. Yeah. It was like I was drawn in and it kind of made me realize like, yeah, this there's not like a million and a half camera cuts happening at once. There's not this need to do like 20 moves in a minute. Hmm. But the story they told was good enough that, you know, someone who doesn't really like that style is like hmm. eyes glued to the screen. Look at someone like Jake the Snake Roberts. Like he was one of the slowest moving wrestlers like probably of all time, but not in a bad way. Like, but it's just like that was his methodical and sinister way of like stalking his prey like a snake no pun intended yeah exactly you can learn so much from watching the old things i'll use disney as an example like i know so many people now especially since they've started doing like the live action remakes of like classic films like beauty and the beast aladdin jungle book mulan for example has just come out um in the past couple of months some people will say oh well, there's a live action one now and it's brand new i don't need to watch the old ones it's like well no because like there's something that they're trying to do, but you have to respect where that source material came from. No, exactly. And especially with like the live action Disney remakes. Uh, I'll use Mulan as an example. Mm. Uh, I like the uh, 90s Mulan. You know, I think it's a little uh, in the 90s kind of style where uh, massive uh, first act, massive second act, and then the third act kind of comes out of nowhere a little yeah. bit <laughs> watched it a few years ago thinking oh if only there was like a little bit more you know when she's walking home yeah on her own and then you watch the remake and you sat there like you know what i'm glad there isn't <laughs> yeah because oh. it would just it would just go on for bloody ever i'm like oh yeah no exactly it was like so uh going back to the phantom thing there's, there's so much needless stuff added to it that mm. you know it's taking away from what it is yeah some people saying oh i don't watch it because it's old people say that do you really want to choose the vince vaughn version of psycho rather than the original version (sighs) guys if you want to watch like a remake that's just why does it exist watch vince vaughn in psycho the remake it's i'll take the original hitchcock version please oh but it's in black and white yeah but at least it's good yeah, it's like why someone thought I need to do a shot for shot remake of a film that's mm. considered almost perfect. Yeah. It's you know like the man who we need. Vince Vaughn. Perfect people. Perfect. But <laughs> and literally people just need to realize that there is always room for the old films. And if people say, like, oh, I don't watch it because it's old. Now nah, that that opinion just needs to get rejected because you can learn so much and you can find so much more entertainment from watching something in the past and appreciating yeah. it more for what the era was at the time because like we just live in a different society now like i said about um like the action fast-paced films that are coming out today it's almost like unless it comes on straight away then it's just really not worth um watching which i think is stupid so totally agreeing with you jamie gets rejected the f- saying i won't watch it because it's old so bye bye <laughs> what will be the second thing that gets rejected today from this audition room jim 
Now, this one, I feel like you, you'll be able to see it from both a perspective of an actor and a filmmaker. Okay, uh, I'm looking forward to this. <laughs> it's something that's so easily done. Um, when you're casting for like a short film or like a video project, let's say you're doing a detective show, for example, and your character is a guy in his mid-40s. He's had a rough life, you know, he's, he's aged, he's gritty. Why have you got your 17-year-old mate from down the road in a waistcoat? <laughs> oh, God almighty. I Yeah, I'm thinking, yeah. why? We don't even need to talk about this. It gets rejected instantly. But for the benefits, <laughs> um, just for our pure ranting enjoyment, please go on. <laughs> I'm going to call it cheap miscasting. Because you're not, like, as you're probably well aware, Scott, there's a lot of actors out there who are hungry for work. Uh, oh, yeah. Who don't, and they don't have the showreel of the portfolio to go for these bigger gigs and they're they, they will work for free yeah um and it's just people obviously they might not know the process or they might not be bothered but it just frustrates me when you know oh this guy's meant to be he's from the valleys he's this really tough guy and then you know some from Birmingham's like hello my name's john <laughs> uh, this is also talking from my teaching experience it just frustrates me so much <laughs> yeah like there could be so much potential with like all of these um projects and stuff like that and i don't know what it is but i feel like a lot of uni students especially like i'm um, talking from like my own experiences you know when like you're trying to cut costs or for example because like you haven't got that much of a budget you will try and look to um resources that you have which i completely understand that but like you say why on earth would you try and cast one of your mates in something it's just like well it's clearly not written for you once again i i've been there i've done this so i think this is why it frustrates me even more hmm. like oh this is set in a i'm gonna go detective show because it brings me back to first year stories yeah, yeah and, of course uh, um like oh it's in a police precinct or you're in a you're meant to be in this office room and it's just clearly someone's student room or like they're just using their kitchen and like you're meant to play make-believe that it's this like almost like you're in GCSE mm. um, and this whole idea of like well no the audience have to buy into what you're saying it's like a quick google away um, but I'm pretty sure I, I came across your star now profile dozens of times you probably applied for stuff that i oh god let's not talk about my star no profile um oh god uh quickly the weather yep <laughs> the weather hello let's not talk about mine either at that point but <laughs> yeah to bring it to something i've done as well uh the comedian for example but you have the extra for yes um i'd worked with noel on my final year film uh, the music of our exam and i wanted to write a film obviously based around the stand-up comedian and Noelle had just done Britain's Got Talent. She'd worked comedy scene for years across Wales and the whole of the UK. He'd done, I'm, I'm just reciting the monologue, gigs <laughs> with Peter Kay, Eddie Izzard, yeah. <laughs> and like all these big names. So I thought, oh, it's not only vital that I can get him in mm. to be a believable stand-up comedian. I knew he had the experience that he could bring to the role as well. There's that sort of authenticity that comes to the role. Yeah, no, exactly. And um, it sounds like a... a <laughs> an advert not for Noel now, but like he, <laughs> he didn't like burst in the door, kick it down and be like, oh, I want money. I want thousands of pounds because I have all of this stuff. No, he was happy to, you know, work with us and come up, come to rehearsals and, hmm. you know, help, even help me kind of write the scripts. Nice. Yeah. Cause if <laughs> my attempts to write comedy was the true comedy all along. 
Um, <laughs> I was more impressed when some of my jokes stayed in the script. <laughs> but but you've heard of the bits where the comedian was meant to be bad. So I'm like, is this a good or a bad thing? Um, <laughs> Which equals good. Yeah. But no, so how do you feel about this kind of stuff? Because I imagine you're, you're a bit like me. You've got like a, a loaded magazine. I'm completely in the same boat. When I've done audition processes, like for my own short films and all that, and I'm talking like with the co-director or the co-writer, what do we feasibly think like we could do with this story? And if we think that we need someone who is like in their 40s or their 50s, we will specifically ask for actors who are in that age bracket. And especially now, it's so easy to find actors out there because like you said, like so many actors of any age are just willing to work and try new things and just try and get something for their show reel. There are so many sites where you can put adverts out for free, casting calls and all that. Like, don't get me wrong, I understand there are some people out there who want to help their friends because I could... Trust me, I've um, studied acting at university and like I'm thinking to myself, oh, I could cast this person because I think they could do this role. But if it was for their age, yeah. But why why would I cast them for a 60-year-old? Yeah, no, exactly. And then you have like Jennifer from down the road. (laughs) She's got a bit of tweed and it's like... um... (laughs) Do you think it's a fear that people have of trying to reach out to the unknown? Some people it might be. I just think it's not knowing because as you said, there's plenty of places out there where you can get uh, a talent and there's talent by the dozen who are ready to work. Mm. Uh, but we mentioned star now, and that's probably the, the baby's first casting kind of. Yeah, experience. definitely. But you've got like South Wales film network, for example, Swansea, Neath, Port Albert film the kind of network, just talking about local ones. Yeah. Um, Literally, if you go on Facebook or Twitter or even Instagram, for example, and you type in, oh, castings or auditions near me, like, yeah, they won't be like auditions for like um, the Marvel Cinematic Universe or Disney or Netflix or anything like that. But like, there will be like these creative people in a hub in your area, like thinking, right, it's like, for example, I'm sure like if you're writing or directing a film, like you'll think, right, where can I find actors? Right, South Wales Film Network, Bernardo. And you'll have like a bunch of people saying, here's my resume, here's my showreel, or like saying, oh, I am got a showreel, but I am trying to work on it. And then, so if you are a filmmaker out there or someone who wants to put on your own work, don't be afraid to ask. You know, we mentioned the easy ones to go for, but you can reach out to people who are on like Spotlight, for example. Yeah. Um, obviously, Spotlight's a little bit harder <laughs> yeah. to kind of get around. And it's a bit more expensive, but uh, hey-ho, experiences. (laughs) Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. Um, But if you've got the budget uh, to fork out for a decent actor, you know, don't cheap out Mm. uh, and write the story specifically. As you said, write the character, but think of your mate in mind. Mm. Um, Do a bit of research. Look at um, men in their kind of mid to late 20s, um, blonde hair, long blonde hair, Mm. like bit scandinavian kind of you know background yeah and you'll find it you'll find a bunch of people some of them as you as we've said who have no acting experience at all but are so hungry for the opportunity but they will spend the time with you to sit down to work on character to you can ask them questions they'll ask you questions at the end of the day you build a role i still remember a film i did a couple of years ago called dying breed and literally i don't take like the full credit of 
being like the sole writer because there was input from everyone, like from the director to the actors to the sound man to the cinematographer. So it was a collective um, collaboration, in my opinion. Why people won't reach out and they'll try and cling on to those the people who are like in their close friendship circle, for example. But then if that's the case, like what you were saying, like having written a script for someone in mind, write a scenario that's fitting of like an 18-year-old or 19-year-old. Her acting theory, Stanislavski. Oh, that's Stanislad. <laughs> yeah, there we go. You know, channel the um, the feelings and emotions they had in the situation. And then that'll become, especially for film acting, it'll become more true on the screen. Don't try and cheat the audience, in my opinion, because that is essentially what it is when like that situation happens. You are cheating your viewers and you're kind of insulting their intelligence. Sometimes it comes off as, I don't care, so why should you care? When someone says, like, oh, I played this role in university or drama college, and it's like, I don't know, say now the character's in their 60s. Yeah, you were cast then because you needed to be cast in order to be graded. See, that, that, that's very interesting, actually, because I immediately, um, I do agree with what you're saying, but then I think of the theatrical uh, adaptation of The Elephant Man, mm-hmm. where a lot of the time they have like able-bodied actors and they physically contort themselves, you know mm. what I mean, to become the character. Yeah. So, like, it can be done. I'm not saying it can't. Oh, no, no, of course not. But I think you need to be very careful how you write the role and the stylistic approach like the mighty boosh is probably <laughs> showing our age a little bit here yeah no, mighty... back on <laughs> yeah uh the mighty boosh is probably one of the more interesting ones where they have like matt berry dressed up as dixon bainbridge <laughs> and you know he's meant to be this older man but you can just clearly see it's like late 20s matt berry in a gray wig and a gray mustache yeah but it's the style of the show you know they yeah. get away with it because it's surreal because it's avant-garde out of the Expanding on that, it's like when Stephen Fry was being interviewed um, about Blackadder, when he did Melch It and Blackadder Goes Forth, he was in his late 20s. But like the character was like an archetype of like a colonel or a general who was in like their 60s or 50s or something like that. But that's what made it funny because the fact he was a younger person acting as this older pompous character. But again, Mm -hmm. it works in that context. But like, if you're trying to do like a real down to earth, like gripping drama, like someone's trying to give you like a monologue, it's like, I'm trying to make it in the world and all that. And I'm feeling um, really depressed. I'm thinking it's like, you're 15. Yeah. So like, I've tried to make it in this industry for 20 years. It's like, it's how, like how 20 years? <laughs> <laughs> what is this multiverse theory or flashpoint? I don't know what you're getting at. Sir. Are teenage years different to adult years? Like, <laughs> Yeah, I don't think you should skim over like when you're cast in for certain roles. Like just because you think, oh, I'm writing an older character or something, any actor can play anything. It's like, yeah, act, that's the joy of acting. You can play roles and you can do something completely different. But... Again, especially when it comes to age, cast someone who's near that age bracket. This is why when you see on resumes, a lot of actors will put their playing age range. So like for me, for example, my playing age range would be 26 to 36. Personally, I'd say I'm not going to go for roles of a 17 year old because I'm a bearded, bold man. (laughs) I mean, that would be, it would literally be like, I can't think of the film at the top of my head, but like the old man who walks in the school, it's like, hey there, fellow kids. <laughs> yeah, just Steve Buscemi. Yes. <laughs> like, with the skateboard, yeah. 
I can't think of it either, but I know exactly what you mean. But yeah, but it's just that whole cliche. I'm, I'm just like, yeah, just try and avoid that. If you want to write stuff for your friends or all that, or you want someone who's closer to your age because you feel like you can communicate better, write roles for that age group. Don't try and cheat it. Actually go on these casting websites and it's free to set up. You don't have to pay a fee to set out a casting call looking for actors of a certain age, certain background or whatever. It's all free to do, guys. The internet, I know this is going to sound controversial, can be your best friend. <laughs> Depending on the context yeah, and what you're say. searching. <laughs> yeah, just don't, just don't take Avenue Q's like <laughs> cheap miscasting gets rejected so guys don't do it <laughs> that brings us to the third point of the evening so jamie you've got two in the bag today and some people might say we're being a harsh audition panel but i think we're just being honest so what would be the third thing that comes into the audition room today and why do you want to reject okay, it so i'm going to try and go for a three for three here oh uh -huh. okay so it's the it's a mindset more than anything and i uh, once again i think social media really hasn't helped yeah um it's the idea of people reviewing stuff uh before they've had a chance to absorb it or like play it watch it uh, the last of us 2 is i i still haven't played it myself and I, i've had it since god august <laughs> and but i remember as soon as it came out uh people were review bombing it within 24 hours yeah now of the game I'm using how long to beat as an example. It's about a, is it a 26 hour game. Mm. Like from, if you're going to play the main, just the main story. So uh, I find it hilarious how people after eight hours of the game coming out because they've read the summary on Wikipedia. Yeah. Like it's a four out of 10. I never <laughs> play this again. It makes ET look like Ocarina of time. <laughs> <laughs> it makes it look like Bloodborne makes sense. Like, what <laughs> but I, I, that is very similar to when people put on film reviews and you think to yourself did you not watch the whole film like i wrote my dissertation uh once again i can relate so back to my film degree i feel like i'm in therapy you know but like it all started with my mother <laughs> it all started with my film degree <laughs> you stay away from me when i'm in the shower if you uh come at me with a dress then yeah, I'd probably be fine with it. You do what you want. <laughs> yeah. Probably just standing there with you like, you're right. <laughs> All right, mate. <laughs> Give us a soap. <laughs> yeah. Busy day. Uh, yeah. No. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very hard, you know, retail. But anyway, back to your yeah, dissertation before. Um... <laughs> yeah. yeah, film reviews. Um, uh, yeah, my original pitch was uh, how Rotten Tomatoes is destroying film criticism. And I am guilty of this as well. Like whenever a new film comes out, I will immediately look towards the Rotten Tomatoes score. Yeah. Um, just to get an idea of like, is it going to be worth my time investing to watch it? Mm. Um, and if I see it's like, oh, it's got 56. It's like, oh. Yeah, it's just above average. Do I want to waste like an hour and a half, two hours on this? It's just like, mm. Yeah, but then Rotten Tomatoes, uh, it's not sneaky because it's very open with how it does its review scores. Mm. Um, it's not a review of its quality per se. Yeah. Like with IMDb, for example, that has just an, uh, an average score, a mean score. Yeah. Of like, um, out of all these review sites, it's reviewed 8.6. And it's like, oh, okay, no, that's pretty decent. I'll try and watch that. Um, with Rotten Tomatoes, it's more 56% of reviewers liked it. But it doesn't tell you if they gave it three stars, five stars. Exactly. Like it's just like they just said, it's like they liked it. 
but it's like hang on do you think i would like it yeah exactly and it's it's perceived as well because i know review score the reviewers are leaning further away from actual scores themselves and more doing like uh, this is what i think about it yeah and obviously then it comes down to someone's subjective opinion of someone's subjective opinion uh, yeah <laughs> deeming whether this person thought it was good and i find it baffling how people can have a whole opinion on something just based on those numbers i completely agree with you and like bringing it back to wrestling now and i feel like this is just becoming a wrestling podcast which um some <laughs> viewers may um like some others may not but for those of you who are listening especially the ones who are fans of wrestling when i say the name dave Meltzer. <laughs> yeah J- jamie's yeah. already rolling his eyes on camera and he's just like oh here we go but for those of you who don't know dave Meltzer is basically a well-respected critic of professional wrestling so like he has the pro pro wrestling observer the newsletter and everything and basically everyone looks at his opinions as gospel which in my opinion shouldn't be the case so it's like like, for example, he'll give like a five star rating to a certain match and then people will be like, oh, my God, this is the best match ever since anything, since Hogan Andre or whatever. And it's just like, did you watch the match yourself? No, I don't need to. Well, how do you know it's good then? Because you haven't seen it yourself. Yeah, no, exactly. And then like the thing is with Meltzer as well, his opinion, it, it can make or break things. Yeah. Like, I don't want to go on a tangent, obviously, too much about wrestling. No, no, but... you crack on. Like, again, it's a form of art, so let's uh, let's talk about it. No, true. Well, look at the uh, Katsuyori Shibata versus Kazuchika Okada match in 2017. It's probably my... It's definitely in my top three. I want to say it's my favourite match of all time, but I'm not... I, I need to watch it again. Yeah. Um, to be fair, there was a content creator called Showbuckle, and he used to do these great video essays all about... I remember... Japan. I used to love his videos. I the fact that they just got taken down like just for stupid reasons. I'm like, oh, why? Well, thing is, then he put them on Vimeo, um, and uh, New Japan found him on Vimeo. Uh, and it's like, he... look, New Japan, be grateful that he was giving you exposure in like a Western society. Yeah, like I, I saw loads of things of people saying, and I'm included, that Showbuckle was a reason they probably got so invested in New Japan to begin with. Um, yeah. And for people who don't know, uh, what he used to do is he'd pick a certain storyline or a certain wrestling character and he'd do like a kayfabe, uh, like an in-world kind of background on the on the people while mixing it with real life as well. Yeah. And uh, with Shibata, it was the story of uh, the man who never could. Yeah. So he was like one of the three, like, he's going to save New Japan. Then he left New Japan. Uh, he came back and was branded a traitor. It was like um, his whole redemption story. Yeah, no, exactly. And then he had this match. I don't think it, I think it was like his second attempt at the IWGP title, hmm. I think. Um, and the match was so, and this is real life now, but the match was so tough on his body that he legit had to retire afterwards. Mm-hmm. And it was a storyline that was created around it of being like this guy, he's tried his whole life to get to this and he tried everything he could he literally put his career on it and it just, it was not good enough. You know, it, it's Greek tragedy at that point. You know what I mean? And of course, 
like Meltzer helped elevate that even further. Good time back to Meltzer, time back to the yeah, point. no, of course, keeping it back on point. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm horrible for this, man. Oh, so no, but be, again, it's it's all relevant to back up your point, man. But yeah, this might be the longest episode yet. I, I can, hey, uh, hey, it's all good. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm just happy to have a catch up with you and talk about wrestling and film and all that. So, <laughs> cool, get ready. I'm <laughs> ready. <in>. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but Meltzer gave it five stars, and uh, all of a sudden Shibata went from this kind of unknown name, like to all of a sudden he's this mythic god. Mm. Um, and his name's a bit controversial, but like Marty Scale, for example. Yeah. Like uh, Cambridgeshire boy, like me, uh, he actually grew up in the village next to mine. Oh. Um, yeah, mental. His uh, <laughs> his mum knows my mum. It's weird. <laughs> that is weird. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and. Um, when he had his five star match against Osprey, uh, I think no, it wasn't at the same pay per view. I think it was the one after. Mike Scale went from this guy who was like uh, a niche thing, like so with Caramel was in like 2006. Um, <laughs> and all of a sudden, Mike Scale was blown out of proportion to the point where these rumors he signed by WWE, he's going to WWE. You know, he became this worldwide star just because some gave him a five star review. Yeah. On the other side of the coin, <laughs> got the seven star match. Yeah, how does that work, people? Like, so there's a five star rating, and it's just like, oh, this was so good, it beats the five stars. What? 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 what why? How? <laughs> you know, unless we start rating everything on seven stars, um, but it just doesn't mathematically work. Yeah, um, it's another thing. If people haven't watched it, it's uh, it's over an hour match, but they're still thinking because it's seven stars that it is the greatest match of all time. Yeah. Oh, it's like, and, for example, like um, they'll see GIFs online of like maybe a couple of moves and then they'll think, oh, that sequence was good. Yeah, but did you not watch like the other half hour of the wrestling? Yeah, no, exactly. It's like, did you actually sit there and you did you watch the, from the rest holds to the comeback spots to, you know, all of this kind of, uh, all the nitty gritty stuff that you can sit there as a fan or as a smart like me. Um, <laughs> you know, I just film the wrestling at this point. <laughs> I, I, I'm not in the ring you sit down and you appreciate all these little things. And as you said, if you're basing it off, maybe let's say three gifts you saw on Twitter and you're like, mm. Oh my God, it's the best match I've ever seen. It's like, how, how does that make sense? Yeah. Um, it's like um, go, going on to like a film context, for example, like I will use this story constantly. And I, I think how bloody stupid it is. When I was in college, there was a guy on my course who basically, have you heard of Empire Magazine? Uh, yes, it's, it's one of my go-tos, to be fair. He was the sort of person that what Empire said goes. So it's like, say now, if um, like they did a review, and I can't remember, there was a film I saw years ago, like, it, it wasn't the best thing ever, but it was just like, yeah, it was watchable, for example. But like Empire said it was like so bad, they wouldn't recommend it. And this guy was basically turning around. Oh, well, Empire says it, so I'm going to take their word for it. It's like, okay, yeah, you you can do that. I'm just saying. I bet, yeah, well, your opinion's wrong. How how can my opinion be wrong? I think it's, there's a, it's a very different thing from opinion to reviewing. Hmm. Um, like my partner, she summed it up really well. Um, when it comes to my film taste, it's like, I don't gravitate towards rom-coms, like for traditional, like, mid-2000s ones. Yeah, yeah. Richard Curtis-style um, rom-coms. Yeah, no, exactly. And um, but I wouldn't ever not watch a rom com. No, like I've only seen Notting Hill probably once when I was like ten. Uh, I can't remember. I can remember like three jokes in the entire thing. I can't remember anything else <laughs> of the film. But I'm not going to go out on a limb and say it's bad. I hate it just because I don't like rom coms. No, of course. Like I can appreciate 
that someone else will like it. Mm-hmm. And I think there needs to be a very clear distinction between opinion and review. I think there's a very strong distinction because I feel like a lot of reviewing, especially with the internet age, it's very much, I don't like this because. Yeah. And it's just like, they haven't like taken into consideration so many other factors. Like I'll uh, give you an example of a film that I personally hate, but loads of people love it. And that is super bad that came out in 2007. I believe it was something like that. Yeah. I want to say, and a lot of people praised it and still hold it in high regard as one of the best comedies ever made. Like me personally, I don't find it funny. I think it's boring. I was just like, I I don't see the appeal. But again, there are people out there who are saying to me, it's like, oh, well, all these reviewers are saying it's good. And so you must be wrong. It's like, no, no, it's just one, my own opinion. Like just because I don't like something doesn't mean you can't like something. Yeah, no, I think you're bang on the point there. And uh, <laughs> you mentioned super bad people. A lot of people like a film. A lot of people like I'm going to go complete 180. Uh, the door of the Explorer movie that came out <laughs> about a year or two ago. Now, I I sat down and I watched it, and don't get me wrong, as a, as a film, it's trash. <laughs> but as a movie, I, I found myself weirdly enjoying loads of little bits throughout it. <laughs> like, um, for people who haven't seen it, and obviously I'm not going to do spoilers, but there's a bit at the beginning of the film where she looks to the camera like she does in the cartoon. Yeah. And you just get Michael Sarah's character being like, what's she doing? Like <laughs> being that kind of meta comedy. And yeah. like, as a film, I, I, I do it out of five. I'd probably give it a two. Mm. As a movie, that's <laughs> something that I enjoy. I'd probably give it like a six. Yeah. You know, it's a six out of 10, um, three out of five. I guess I just threw my system out the window there, meltering it. Um, <laughs> yeah. But you know what I mean? It's like, there needs to be a distinction between I'm reviewing this as a piece of art or it's like... Or are you reviewing it as like a film, like from Act 1, Act 2, Act 3? Yeah, exactly. And then there needs to be a whole separate section of I've read three Twitter posts and I agree with them. Yeah. <laughs> That's like, well, I th- the time. It's because we live in this sort of like age now, especially it's like... I think Al Snow said it best. It's like um, an opinion is the lowest form of human knowledge. So it's like basically mm-hmm. it takes like a little amount of information to conjure up one or sometimes no information at all. And that is where a lot of opinions base from is the fact like, oh, people think that, um, oh, I know this little amount or I've heard something about it. So I'm automatic- automatically an expert. It's like, yeah. how are you an expert? Again, it is those people who do think they are experts on the on the genre, yeah, um, or the art form. Like uh, I go to The Last of Us because it's probably the most contemporary example for me, mm-hmm. uh, like in my head. And I think video games are probably it's different to film in that sense because obviously tying back as well. Well, it's got so many callbacks, man. <laughs> like that's what i love to do on this podcast, man. Like just having great stories and just callbacks. <laughs> yeah. But going back to the first point of like a lot of films these days are so cookie cutter in terms of like being this action movie Mm. um, concept that you can kind of predict what a film's going to be before you watch it. Yeah. Now I feel like games are such a different, and I'm not a game designer in any way, shape or form. So I'm only talking as someone who enjoys playing them. Yeah. Um, Playing a game and watching a game are two different things. 
like or hearing about a game because um what's a good example i could probably give out uh recently okay i'm gonna say like dark souls bloodborne for example yeah watching it and playing it as you could probably imagine scott are two very different things yep oh yes <laughs> like, don't get me wrong like bloodborne <laughs> is a very unique game but like literally it's one of those things it's like playing it you get a different sensation than from watching somebody else play it yeah exactly you know you you you're put you put yourself in that situation where you know you're against uh let's use the blood starved beast quite early on mm-hmm. you know you could watch somebody play it and be like oh this is easy i can do this and then you spend three and a half hours trying to beat it yeah. Know, two and a half controllers later and <laughs> you're kind of sat there like how but then you've earned the you've earned that uh, you've earned that opinion that's weird to say but no yeah. no i completely get that because like you've taken it you've actually gone out of your way to try it rather than just like rant about it don't get me wrong i do love watching like online reviewers there are some great ones out there like Cadicarus for games steve yeah. reviews for like um lesser known films or hidden gems and all that i highly love those sort of things but afterwards i'm not um walking out of there thinking to myself this film is shit or this is this i'm thinking yeah i've heard their story i've heard their argument and i've heard their opinion but it's like yeah okay it sounds bad but what do i think of it yeah no exactly and i think people just need to go away from the sheep mentality obviously it's hard oh yeah Obviously, everyone wants to fit in, but you've got other people who do the exact opposite, to be fair. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'll be the one who wants to stick out. Last of Us, for example, being like, oh, I think it's amazing what they I want to get. I know next to nothing about it other than it's the sequel to The Last of Us. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but being like, oh my God, no, it's, it's it's meant to be the best game ever. And, you know, I'm going to love it. And it's like, well, once again, you haven't, you haven't played it, man. <laughs> Actually go out of your way to actually have an opinion of your own i know that's really hard in this day and age for people to have an opinion of their own but it's just all going back to the point it's just like reviews are just reviews it's just one person's um interpretation and one person's take on things bang on the money there and uh, just one more example i can actually think of of course by all means i think this is the magnum opus uh death stranding Yes, I've I've not played it, but I have heard and seen reviews of it. So I love Hideo Kojima. He's the closest thing to a god that probably exists on this earth. <laughs> Him and Mads Mikkelsen. So when I heard the both of them doing a collab together, it was like, I'm getting this no matter what. Um, <laughs> and obviously you see all these reviews and it was very mixed. It was like some people calling it a masterpiece, saying that Kojima invented a new genre of games, like the Strand genre. Yeah. And you had other people going, it's walking simulator. I don't understand it. Yeah. <laughs> and I I haven't completed it. I'm about, I'd probably say two thirds of the way through it. And I can see it from both perspectives, but because I've played it, I can understand that. You know, a lot of people have based their opinion on the first probably, <laughs> obviously you shouldn't have to wait 10 hours into a product before you can see that it's good. Mm. But once you get past those initial 10 hours, it's like, no, then you start to see what else there is behind this. Yeah. Once again, I feel like I sound so entitled and I don't mean to say it like this. I feel like I'm more entitled to the opinion on the game. Mm-hmm. Because, because you've experienced it. 
Yeah, exactly. I think that's the kind of the point I'm trying to make overall. Unless you've actually sat down to watch a film, sat down to watch a TV show, sat down with a controller in your hand for a game and observed it for yourself, then I don't want to say you can't have an opinion because that's really counterproductive. And I think it's yeah. like everyone's entitled to an opinion, but just go and see something or try it before you jump on a bandwagon. Zack Snyder's Justice League. Yeah. I have not seen it. I I probably will at some point when I have four hours spare, you know, but, uh, you know, time is a very sporadic thing this time, day and age. But um, the point I'm trying to make is the fact like, yeah, I'm not going to say it's good or bad because I haven't seen it. Mm -hmm. I've seen like clips of it and I've seen like some really good clips of it. But that doesn't mean I think the entire film is good or yeah. bad. I can't say any reason to recall this. So literally people who I'm trying to put this into actual words, like um, for the rejection. So it's more the fact that people are taking a reviewer as a gospel. Yeah. By all means, everyone has an opinion and you are just as entitled to have an opinion as the next person. But do not take one person's word for it. Like if you think to yourself, oh, I want to try this um, game or I want to watch this film or TV show, I'll give it a go. And it may be for me, it may not be. If you agree or disagree with what somebody says, that is absolutely fine. That is what makes art so subjective. It's like um, what Jamie said about the game Death Stranding. Like you said, like when you played it, you could see both sides of the spectrum. I have my own opinion on this, but I understand why people are on either side of it. So it's definitely getting rejected today. The fact that people need to just stop jumping on a bandwagon and actually go out and try it for yourself. Reviewers, if you think people want to treat you as a god or whatever, you get rejected as well. So bye-bye. <laughs> You're cut. Well, that brings us to the end of our third point and the end of this episode of the Reject or Recall podcast. I just got to say, Jamie, thank you so much for coming on to the episode, buddy. It has been an absolute ball talking to you. And it's just been nice just to geek out for a bit. Yeah, no, to be fair, we haven't... Um, oh, God, I think I saw you six months ago. I think that's the last time. Yeah, so it, to be fair, it's been really nice to catch up and um, just have a rant about this kind of stuff with someone who, like like yourself, you know, you're a filmmaker, you're an actor, you... You, you get it as well, which is awesome. <laughs> no, I, it, that's the thing. Like you can talk to like some friends or family about this and it's just like they're, they're not into that sort of thing or not into it in like the level that we are. You're the weird cousin at the Christmas table being like, yeah. have you seen the It's like, oh, Scott and Jamie are having their film rants again. Oh, I'm just going to take a shot of whiskey. <laughs> He's going on his Doctor Who rant again. No. Oh. The timeless child was a pointless twist. <laughs> yes, Grandad Scott, we get it. Kenny Omega and Kazuchika Okada was not a seventh star. Let's get the whiskey. Off of them now. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's put you to bed now. Come on now. <laughs> that is probably what all of the listeners are thinking is like, oh, the God, stop talking about wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, guys. We are marks at heart, and it is a form of entertainment and a great way to express yourself. Is there mm -hmm. anywhere that our listeners can check you out or check out any of your work that you've previously made? 
this is your time to plug whatever you like. Okay, so you can find me on Instagram or under the name The Mighty Buxton, which is a name I've had a very long time. <laughs> hey, you might as well stick with it, bud. Ambly Wedge Pictures on YouTube. Uh, so where you can catch some of my short films or you can go on my Vimeo at Jamie Lewis Brown. There we are. Thank you for that, Jamie. And like I said, guys, you can tune into the Reject or Recall podcast every Monday. I will have a different guest every single week where we will be talking about things all to do with entertainment, as you have observed in this episode, ranging from acting to filmmaking, directing, writing, pro wrestling, video games. It's all a form of entertainment and it brings artistic value in so many different ways. And so you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, and Spotify. But until next time, guys, stay safe, keep it awesome, and remember, when in doubt, you can always edit it out later. I always try and tailor the end into my guests. <laughs> People may have noticed that. <laughs>